Some reasons for optimism as the United States waits for Omicron here. The parents of that Michigan school shooter now locked up alongside with him. And what did China's lunar lander just spot on the far side of the moon? Monday Need to Know. Let's go. Good Monday morning, everybody. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for December 6th. I'm Carlo Versano here with Baker Ah, Machado. Baker. Happy Monday, Carlo. Happy National Gazpacho Day to you on this Monday. Uh, (laughs) Always a pleasure to be on this pod with you, my friend. Well, it's thanks for uh, stepping up. We'll have you here at least for the next uh, next few weeks. Um, yes. So it'll be good. The, yes, it'll the boys, be a uh, The boys are yes. back. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you have a good you have a good weekend though. I did. I did. I uh, I went to uh, Miami this last weekend with uh, with my husband and his family. We went to uh, Art Basel. I got a little bit mm. of a tan. It was it's amazing because last week here in New York I was wearing long underwear. Last uh, then I went to Miami yeah. and I did you know had to wear shorts. Uh, which was amazing, uh, but Miami, one of the a really fun town, by the way, Carlo. Don't know if you've made your trip down there very often. I have, I, I have been to Basel several times actually. Miami is uh, amazing. It's also the land that uh, I think beat coronavirus. I don't think it exists <laughs> in South Florida anymore. <laughs> That's at least what DeSantis says. By the way, yeah. interestingly, when I was at Basel, they uh, there was a ten-year-old art prodigy that was like selling his art projects uh, there, and it was wild to sort of see. Picasso, uh, you Andy Warhol, Banksy, and then this ten-year-old that was there also. Just sort of this complete <laughs> crazy mix of different artists that were there. Amazing, amazing. Uh, All right. Okay, well, what's on the docket today, baby? All right, well, we got a lot on the docket on this Monday, Carlo, and let's start, of course, with the Omicron variant. Is Dr. Fauci now saying the early indications of the severity of that brand new variant are quote a bit encouraging? That's some good news there. Omicron has quickly become the dominant strain circulating in South Africa. Africa, but hospitalization rates there are yet to increase at an alarming rate, and that's suggesting that the variant may be much more contagious possibly than Delta, but also less dangerous. While Omicron has now been confirmed in about a third of the U.S. so far, the Delta variant is still by far and away the dominant strain circulating in the country and is driving a surge of hospitalizations, especially up in the north uh, so far. But either way, Carlo, given the fact that Dr. Fauci had said last week, look, it's still going to take us about two weeks to sort of really sort of get a good grip mm-hmm. on how contagious, how severe, maybe how much more deadly Omicron is. And the fact that already so many of the early indicators are maybe it's not as concerning as we originally thought good news so far I, I hope so I think you know the big question remains how and if this uh, variant evades the vaccine that's that's really the only thing I care about right. now there's some anecdotal evidence now that it does so that's not great I mean there's this uh, story in the Wall Street Journal about this Christmas party in Norway that appears to have been uh, probably the biggest super spreader event with this uh, variant outside of South Africa a third of attendees at that party was like a corporate Christmas party uh, tested positive for Omicron and it's notable because everybody was vaccinated there so it was like right. this little bubble and this uh, thing still was able to spread so it does seem to be able to spread among the vaccinated to a degree. But again, you know, that's not necessarily that bad of a thing. I mean, remember, this is how the Spanish flu ended, uh, that that pandemic 100 years ago, right? The virus there pretty much mutated itself so much. It attenuated itself to a degree that it just became very highly contagious, but much less severe as time went on. And then it just sort of faded away. And I think I think still 
That is the best case scenario here. Everybody who is unvaccinated probably is going to get it. And that will give them some natural immunity, hopefully. Some number of vaccinated people will also get these breakthrough cases, but it'll just be a cold if that. Yes. Um, funnily illness, enough, yeah, re yeah uh, researchers in Massachusetts, I saw discover that part of the genetic code of the common cold has actually been found in this strain, which again suggests that it's mutating itself to evade attack uh, by the uh, by the immune system because, you know, that's what the cold does best. Yeah, and by the way, on, on the topic of, of the vaccines, the concern also is, for instance, Regeneron, we're looking at a different sort of um, uh, sort of treatments that people can take outside of maybe the shots that can help them with a lot of this. Regeneron said that their antibody treatment might be less effective against Omicron, mm -hmm. so no doubt that's a concern there. But we did sort of get this heads up from Moderna and Pfizer CEOs last week that maybe it might take like another month or two and they can sort of tweak the vaccines at the early part of next year so that way people who are getting their booster shots would be protected against the Omicron variant. Right. But we should also note a lot of epidemiologists are saying, look, don't wait until those new uh, vaccines are out on the market. Get your booster shot right now if you have the opportunity and also continue to wear your mask until again we get more research and information about how really severe and potentially deadly uh, Omicron really is right. out there. Mm -hmm. Um, meanwhile, Cargo, uh, Carlo, let's talk about this uh, story in Michigan. Uh, gets sadder by the day, really. The parents of the teenage boy who allegedly uh, shot and killed four of his classmates at his Michigan high school are now in custody. James and Jennifer Crumbly are being charged with involuntary manslaughter, that for providing their son with unfettered access to the gun that he used in that shooting. They also failed to appear for their initial arraignment, leading authorities on a manhunt with their uh, uh, that ended in their arrest at a warehouse in Detroit. Now all three of the Crumblies, the mother, the father and the son are now being held in isolation at the same jail, each under suicide watch. Uh, even more alarming, Carlo, are the reports out there that the, the kid was looking uh, uh, on the computers at school online about bullets, was caught yeah. by the teacher, and then the mother had basically written him a text saying, LOL, next time don't get caught. And then I had also heard reports that even just days before the shooting, uh, the father took this son out and purchased this gun that he ended up using uh, to gun down his classmates. Yeah, you got it on a Black Friday special. Uh, yeah, so you know, while, so the, while the rest of us are, yeah, while the rest of us are looking for deals on you know TVs or maybe right. a new pair of slippers, right. this guy's out there buying guns because this is the United States and that's what we do. Uh, the mom also texted the son as soon as she heard the news reports about the shooting quote, Ethan, don't do it. So that suggests that the parents pretty clearly knew that this kid was a threat. Right. Um, I Look, I, I hope that I said this last week. I hope they make an example out of these parents. Uh, you know, maybe it'll have some effect on other parents who have clearly mentally disturbed children. Um, and maybe it'll make them think twice about perhaps keeping uh, guns out of their, um, you know, out of their reach, maybe at least put them in a safe. Right. But God, this story, there's just something it's it, there's something about it that is just so upsetting on multiple levels all True. of these failures in parenting, um, it, it just the, everything about it. The only thing, honestly, that isn't so depressing is just that the kids at that school, they just their response was exemplary, as it as it turns out, right? I, I mean, it it's turns out this kid this kid shot these these other students between classes um, in the hallway, right? And all of the, uh, what everyone immediately went into the classrooms, barricaded themselves in, locked the doors and wouldn't let him in. So just imagine if they didn't do that and he was able to get into one of those classrooms, the death toll probably would have been much oh, higher. Such a good point. And, 
it just seemed it seems like they you know it, as sad and horrible as it is but it seems like these kids knew exactly what to do in this situation which just I don't know, it tells well, us something about... It does, in the sense that it's really unfortunate, Carla, that we're not teaching and, and, and training our kids at such young ages now to be prepared for these situations. So many kids now, when you go to school, you basically have to have a drill preparing for the mm -hmm. absolute worst in a situation like this. And that's because we had situations like in Connecticut where you have young children that are getting done, gunned down. The sad yeah. part that was is, is the case with this, like there are so many other cases, like the situation in you know near my hometown in Boulder just uh, this last year, the warning signs are there. And that's the unfortunate Always. part is yeah. the warning signs are there and nothing gets done to stop it. And that is that yeah. is the sad part. I really don't know how I feel about school shooting drills because part of me is like it's the the, the lockdown drills themselves are so um, uh, you know have to be so difficult on children uh -huh. especially younger children right um, that almost makes it like it's not worth it because school shootings are still very rare so I don't so you wonder about the you know cost benefit analysis but then you see a story like this one it seems like the drills actually may have saved lives totally. so it makes me it makes me rethink my my uh, my feeling on them I really I, I don't know I don't know how to feel about that stuff uh, let's talk about what's happening in Washington um, a big legend of the Senate Bob Dole passing away over the weekend the World War II veteran longtime senator from Kansas and one-time Republican presidential candidate almost 198 years old over his long career as a Republican stalwart in Congress. Dole was known as a skilled legislator who worked across the aisle with Democrats on issues like Social Security reform and the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now, after he lost to Bill Clinton in 1996, he actually became something of a TV pitchman. He cut ads for Pepsi, Visa, and famously Viagra as well. Really, in many ways, sort of this bygone era of what the Senate oh, yeah. used to look like, where you were cutting deals in this bipartisan partisan fashion, even uh, uh, Joe Biden, his statement sort of really mimicking the, basically the Senate yeah. of the old where he and Bob Dole could be friends. Nowadays, you'd never see something like that. That was sort of my takeaway when I, I, I heard of his passing, really sort of a, a guy from a, a, another time. Interesting guy, too. He was a war hero. Uh, he was left for dead on the battlefields of World War II in Italy at the tail end of the war. Uh, he was left with multiple injuries, thought he was going to basically not survive. He ended up um, really thriving, actually, but those injuries made him unable to use his arms for the rest of his life. I don't know if you remember in 96 mm -hmm. when he ran, he yep. used to keep a pen in his hand uh, yep. like this to sort of like, uh, uh, you know, because his, his hands didn't really work. But yeah, to your point, he was the class of, uh, he was part of a class of Republicans that really just don't exist anymore, kind of like a John McCain type. Uh, you know, he was such a party loyalist that he actually endorsed uh, Donald Trump in I 2016. Yes. And I think he was the, he was really the only big name of like the old GOP guard uh, to do so, uh, which is ironic, of course, because Bob Dole probably wouldn't even be considered a Republican today, nope. right? Nope. Um, and I also, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember in '96. You know, I remember thinking, like, man, this guy is old. Damn, that was 25 <laughs> yes, years ago. Yes, yes. Right. I mean, he he was 71 at the time, um, and I remember there was even this Time magazine cover that was asking, like, is Bob Dole too old to be president, which is hilarious because he was the younger than either Trump or Biden so when true. they ran. So, so sometime true. in the last sometime in the last couple of decades, the presidency became this sort of like geriatric contest. Um, <laughs> that maybe you know, by it would the be way, nice to get away from.
By the way, I don't know if you ever remember, this is how much I've been watching SNL over the course of my life. The great Norm MacDonald yeah. used to always play Bob Dole on SNL. And one of the sketches I will always remember is uh, the real world. Bob Dole was on the real world. And he would always <laughs> go through and just be like, oh, this is Bob Dole's peanut butter. And he would just basically right. like put a, his mark on all these things. But it's, it's interesting because the Senate now in days, Carlo, you know, you would never see somebody like Bob Dole in the Senate now. Things are just too polarized, too partisan. This is why there's too much talk now about nuking the filibuster because you now you have Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene that basically want to throw Republicans out for even working with Democrats. This was the whole ethos of what Bob Dole really stood for back in the day. I mean, back in the 90s, Carlo, the Republican health care platform basically was Obamacare, and that was basically yeah. crafted by Bob Dole. Right. That's uh, a great point. Yeah. Let's talk about the markets here, Carlo. Bitcoin, my gosh, what a weekend it had. It is currently trading about $49,000 down from 57000 which it was at on Friday. The cryptocurrency had a very volatile weekend, tumbling 20% to one point, falling to 43000 before recovering just a little bit. Now, the president of El Salvador, which recently adopted Bitcoin as a national currency, said the country bought uh, 150 coins on the dip. Uh, I, I told you I was in Miami over the weekend. Weekend. My God, Miami is really obsessed with Bitcoin. I mean, there's nightclubs, there's restaurants, there's all these sorts of things now just taking Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as forms of payment, something I've yet to see here in New York City. Yeah, it's crazy. Do people actually do that? Like, yeah, try it's, and wild. Go, yeah. it's wild. They, they buy their drinks on Bitcoin? Yeah. It's weird, right? I, I don't I, I, you know, I don't really get this stuff, to, to be honest with you, so I'm not the best voice on it. But the, the crypto market has just been seeing these wild swings, um, which makes sense, right? Because investors, I think, right now are just selling off riskier assets. They're trying to pile into more uh, you know, stable assets just to, until they see what the deal is with this variant and what right. it means for the market. So I think you're going to see some uh, you know, volatility through the end of the year. The El Salvador thing, though. Uh, you know, using the treasury to speculate on crypto seems sort of like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? I don't it, know. It really right. does. That is, it's really, really risky. Look, El Salvador could benefit hugely if you know if if the bulls out there who are really bullish on on the rise of Bitcoin and you make it sort of this um, this sort of tourist uh, reason that you get tourists to come to El Salvador. But yeah. Look, there is. You're absolutely right. If you are not into risky investments, this could potentially go really south and in a hurry potentially too for El Salvador. Yeah, big time. All right, let's uh, stay in the business world with Twitter. Their new chief executive now in the midst of a major shakeup at the social media company. That following the departure of Jack Dorsey just last week. Twitter's heads of design and engineering are now out as part of a reshuffling, which CEO Parag Agarwal says is the name of uh, is in the name of operational rigor and even faster execution. By the way, only 37 years old, Parag Agarwal, the same age, interestingly, as Mark Zuckerberg. And me. Don't forget uh, me. Yes. Oh, and me too, by the way. All, all of us 37. <laughs> it's our golden years, Carlo. 37 gang. What's up? Um, that reorg at uh, Twitter coming is they just started this new policy on what kind of images users can and cannot share. This is sort of notable here. So going forward, Twitter says they now have the right to take down any photo or video taken of somebody without their consent unless it's in the public interest to keep it up. So that's going to be virtually impossible for them to enforce, I think. Um, and it's just a... It, 
it's a really interesting sort of debate over, um, you know, what can and cannot be shared on social media. Under these guidelines, think about it, the George Floyd video probably would have been taken oh, down true. At, at, at least at first. And remember, that video started uh, on Twitter before it was picked up by the national media. Um, so, again, I, I don't really see how they're going to enforce this. It's a very odd uh rule change here. Um, Scott Galloway, by the way, friend of the pod, has been saying that Twitter's in play now that uh, Dorsey's out, and he thinks it's going to be acquired by this Ooh, time next year. Interesting. I that would be... I don't know who the acquirer would be, though. I don't know. Uh, not Facebook. No, definitely not Facebook. Uh, ooh, that's interesting that Scott Galloway said that. I, I you know, it, And you'd have to think there'd be a limited sort of audience that even from a re regulatory standpoint would be able to acquire yeah. them. Um, Ooh, interesting. That let the speculation game begin if that's basically what's yeah. going to happen. Uh, let's talk about CNN here because the drama with Chris Cuomo really coming to a head over the weekend because he is not returning to that network. The network firing their top-rated primetime anchor over the weekend. That after an internal investigation into his efforts to help his brother Andrew uncovered additional information. Now, it's not clear what the additional information is, but Cuomo's termination came after an anonymous allegation of sexual misconduct was made against him by a former colleague at another network here, Carlo. Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo has denied that allegation. It's, uh, it's always funny how those allegations seem to pop up just when the person is already on the ropes. Uh, the lawyer for the person accusing him also happens to represent one of his brother's accusers. Yes, so. true. Hmm. Uh, but I, I sound every time we do the story, I sound like I'm like a, like a big Chris Cuomo defender or something. And as I said last week, I actually I don't fault him for using his professional sources. He said family to help first his, over his, job. Uh, his brother out. Right. And I continue to believe that. But what I didn't say is that, you know, he's also not entitled to keep his job when he's caught doing that. And Jill made this point last week, and I agree with her. It's like, OK, you know, you sort of got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Now you have to face the consequences, which is that you're no longer going to be a primetime host on on CNN. So, it, you know. Well, he's, he's out. He put his he put his I mean, he did put his colleagues in a, in a really difficult situation. Even Jake Tapper was doing interviews, uh, you mm -hmm. know, subsequently over the last couple of months saying that Chris Cuomo put them in a difficult spot. And I also feel like because uh, the right wing pressure for them to do something, because so many people were going after Fox News hosts for their relationships with the with the Trump administration, I, I think was just going to be too big that Jeff Zucker had to make a big decision here. Yeah. The big question will be, I mean, this is the crazy evolution now of cable news right now. I mean, this, I mean, basically you have CNN now losing their top primetime host. You now have MSNBC losing Brian Williams at 11 o'clock yeah. and Rachel Maddow going to leave her show next year. Uh, the great Matthew Bellany over, uh, formerly of The Hollywood Reporter, but now of Puck News, uh, he wrote in his newsletter over the weekend, one name potentially to watch to take over for Chris Cuomo, maybe at 9 p.m., might be Nora O'Donnell at CBS News. The reason for that, she's under, trying to get rid of her. Yeah, because she's under intense contract negotiations at CBS. CBS, according to reports out there, debating whether to keep her or Gail King. Apparently, they can't keep both. Uh, so she might be one name potent, uh, potentially that might yep. swing back to see uh, to go to CNN here. This is all a uh, major reshuffling of the deck chairs, on, deck chairs on the Titanic, if you ask me. I think a lot of this, uh, the cable news business is just um, not long for this world, I well, should say. But Baker, I, I, yeah, you know, just ahead. really, and the last point I'll make on this, it just also goes to show how much the cable news world really relied on Trump. And when you don't have Trump yep. making headlines 24-7, you know, the intricacies of what's happening in terms of Washington legislature, not as interesting. And when you don't have leaks exactly. falling out of the Biden White House, there's not a lot to talk about there.
Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what it is. Okay, a little more to know before we go, Baker. Kick it yeah, off. Yeah, indeed. A court in Myanmar now sentencing Aung San Suu Kyi, the uh, country's former civilian leader, to four years in prison on charges of inciting public unrest and breaching COVID protocols. The sentence is the first of several expected to be handed down in the coming months against the Nobel laureate, which could keep her locked up at least for the rest of her life. The UN calling this a sham trial here, Carlo. Staying overseas here, Pope Francis was in Greece over the weekend. He visited the island of Lesbos to elevate the plight of migrants. Uh, Francis famously visited that island back in 2016 when he took 12 refugees back with him to Rome. This has really been one of his, um, you know, major causes. And to his credit, he has been all over it, even when everybody else seems to have forgotten. On the trip, he was also heckled by a Greek Orthodox priest who called him a heretic, Baker. So the schism of 1054 back in the headlines at last. <laughs> yes, just had to wait a few thousand years, but guess what? It comes back. It always, everything is a circle. It always does. Uh, meanwhile, uh, when are we going back to the office? The big question. Never. Well, Google scrapping their return to the office. The company had told their employees to report back to the office after the new year. Now they say they're just going to wait until next year to decide what their office plans will look like. This, by the way, echoes what Apple basically had said as well. Apple was planning a return to the office in January. Uh, doesn't look like that's happening either, Carlo. I, I I don't know what to make of any of this. I'm just throwing my you're, hands up. You're Someone, staying tell in me, Brooklyn tell me, forever. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you want me, if, if you want me back in, just give me a day's notice. I'll be yes. there. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, China, China reportedly seeking its first military base on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, the Wall Street Journal out with a report this morning citing U.S. intelligence that Beijing is in talks with Equatorial Guinea, a small nation on the western coast of Central Africa, for a full-fledged naval base there. Uh, that's raising serious alarm bells in Washington at the Pentagon as it would be just across the Atlantic Ocean from the east coast of the United States. Something to watch here. Absolutely. And speaking of China, Carlo, China's lunar rover spotting a mysterious cube-shaped object on the horizon, and they're going to spend the next several months trying to get a closer look at it. The U-22 rover has been exploring the far side of the moon since it landed there back in 2019 and recently snapped an image of what China's space agency is calling a mystery hut, which is interesting. Now, experts think the most likely likely explanation is that the hut is just a boulder, but it will take a few weeks to get a close enough look to see what exactly it is for sure. If it's a hut, if it could be Nessie the Loch Ness Monster, if it could be something <laughs> else, who knows? Either way, I'm totally intrigued. Uh, I think it's a monolith. Remember when all the monoliths started popping up last year? <laughs> yes, Maybe yes, somebody sure. pulled yes, one on the moon. Yes, huh? wouldn't that be great? How did it get there? Yes, Elon yeah. Musk probably put it there. Or Stanley Kubrick, maybe. Yes. Okay, the college football playoff is set. Number one, Alabama is going to play number four, Cincinnati. And number wow. two, Michigan will play number three, Georgia, in the semifinals. That'll be on New Year's Eve. The winners of those two games will compete in the national championship on January 10th in Indianapolis. Cincy, by the way, the first school from a non-Power 5 conference to make the college football playoff since its inception back in 2014. Amazing. Cincy, really great story. By the way, I think this is their last year in the American conference. They're now moving to the big Big 12 conference because the Big 12 sort of imploded, mm -hmm. losing Texas and Oklahoma. Okay, folks, Baker, good to see you. Thanks for uh, coming on. We'll see Always. you again tomorrow. And that's what you guys need to know for Monday, December 6th.